brokenness salvaged by the art of grace you craft life from our mistakes black skies of my regrets outshone by this kindness new life dawns over my soul surrounds me 
place where you can go. It's not a season I'm not in. Trust within my hands, I am faithful to the end. Why do you fear? Why do you fear? Oh, why do you? She feels like an ocean of sorrow is under my skin Even the ocean eventually meets with the sand Sorrow on sorrow I'm waiting Heavy I'm anticipating Trusting
I see it, it makes me tear up. Would you guys go ahead and stand with us and let's say good morning to each other and, and uh, worship the Lord this morning. Father God, we just thank you so much for this house. This house that you alone have given your children to come and worship you and to be a lampstand into our community. Lord, you told us that we would become from the armpit to the strong arm. And God, you are moving in our town. You are moving in Olivehurst. We thank you. We want to give you a shout of joy for that this morning. Because you are moving, God, and you're worthy to be praised. Lord, we just lift up our voices to you this morning. We worship the God who was, and we worship the God who is. Let's go, church. As the guitarist looks at me, hello, just kidding. No, God's good, and he, we are going to worship him this morning. After we're done crying. <laughs> oh, it's good. Worship the God who was, worship the God who is, worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging seas. My God, he holds the victory. Come out, there's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. We'll shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Yes, he does. Cause he hung up on that cross and he rose up from that grave. My God, still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. We'll shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by his grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Come on, shout it out. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. 
church that we've been forgiven regardless of what we have ever done or experienced we've been accepted and we've been redeemed we've been bought mm -hmm. by his grace by his blood thank you lord that this house of the lord will sing for all our days lord yes we will Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes? Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless? In awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is a failing love that you would take my Amazing grace. 
that you've done for me. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner, wake up the saint. Let every nation shout of your faith. Jesus is coming soon. Like a Jesus, come. Even 
We can't wait to see you face to face, Jesus. Maranatha, Lord. But until then, we occupy together here, Father God, with um, your heart in mind, Lord. We want what your heart wants, Lord. We desire what you want for our lives, Lord, and for the lives around us, Father God. And we pray that you would help us to be Jesus for others, Lord. We love you so much, God, and we thank you for everything you do for us, Lord. We worship you. We praise you. We glorify you, Lord. You're so good. You're so good, God. The reign of darkness now has ended. In the kingdom of light. In the kingdom of Forever under your dominion, 
you, Jesus, that I love that bridge. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave and now seated alone in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. Lord, you receive all honor and glory. You have our highest praise. God, I pray if there's anything in us right now that is in enmity between you, anything that's standing in the way of us right now, God, that we would take that moment to really just come before you in that quiet, secret place and, and confess those things. God, may you be our all. May they not be just words that we sing on a screen or a radio song that we hear, God, but may they be an internal investment, God, that we are crying out to you. Jesus, you reign above it all. You are our love. We love you so much, God. We give this morning to you. We pray a special anointing over Pastor Brian, God, as he comes up. And thank you that he's here today. <laughs> I, I do. I thank you that he's here today, God, that he's alive and he's breathing. Um, Lord, please speak to us this morning. Open our, our, our ears and our hearts to you, God. May we receive what you want us to have out of your word today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And you know how we do. Say good morning to your brother and sister. There's coffee in the foyer and Bible study will begin in just a minute. Welcome to the house, guys. If you're new, welcome to the house.
Well, welcome everybody. It is very, uh, if, if my sound sounds off or different, um, they'll try and fix me back there at the sound booth. We were trying to work some stuff out. Um, it's an amazing thing to be here. Um, I don't know, some of you who live in this neighborhood knows that the history of this building. Um, and uh, welcome to Metanoia Community Church, Olivehurst. If you're new here, um, please take advantage of uh, our connection card. Um, there will be one behind your seat. It's kind of a dual thing. Helps us to stay connected with you. The last thing we want is for somebody to come and feel left out or lost in the mix. Um, and then the other thing is there's a prayer request there. And um, you can mark on there. Feel free to contact me. Um, and then uh, there's also an, a box where if you'd like to serve in ministry here, um, if you are new to Metanoia Community Church Olivehurst, there's a little trifold that's on the back table back there for you. Um, and then uh, let's open our bulletin and we'll do a few announcements here. <clears throat> We're going to pray for Israel as a, as a body. Um, and then... Uh, this morning we're going to do that. We started doing that at our other location. And um, sorry, I'm kind of going through just a list of things that I'd like to do before we get into our teaching. Those of you that don't know, I had cardioablation surgery on October 31st. Um, I was diagnosed this last year with supraventricular tachycardia, and that's where your heart just decides to beat super fast for no reason. And so if I seem tired or slower than usual, it's because my body is still recovering. I was here yesterday and got excited that the speakers actually worked, and I walked fast from that table back here up to here, and my body was like, nope, you shouldn't be doing that fast. And so um, thank you, everyone, for all the prayers. But I really would like to pray corporately for Israel. I got an email from Calvary Chapel Bible College in Jerusalem um, they're closing their Bible college right now just because of the intensity of the fighting that's over there. And um, I was thinking last night, you know, we, we live over where the Sikh parade is. We live over on that side of Yuba City. And, you know, in the comfort of our, you know, neighborhood in America, we see, I, I, I love pyrotechnics, you know, and so we see fireworks and we see explosions and all this stuff. And I thought of Israel and us and how we are enjoying this, you know, display of, of, of fireworks while in Israel loud explosions are not enjoyable right now. And um, so we just need to be praying for Jerusalem and for Israel. Let's pray for Israel corporately. If you feel led to pray, please do so. Keep in mind that we're gonna do this for about five minutes and um, there's quite a few people here. If you don't wanna pray out loud, God hears you before you speak. So um, I will open and close. Jesus, thank you so much for Israel. Lord, that they are your people and they're the apple of your eye. And we just ask, Lord, that you would do a great work within everyone that is over there, that you would bring healing, that you would save babies and mothers and families physically, Lord. We ask that you would use this trial, this horrible trial, this horrible thing that's happening over there to draw many, many people to you, Jesus, that they would cry out to Yeshua, Messiah, you are their God. You came to them first, and then through them, us Gentiles heard the word, Lord. 
And Lord, we know that the Bible tells us that as the scroll turns to an end in end times, that there will be war greatly happening over there, Lord. And so, Lord, we look to you and we, our hope is in you. And so we pray, Jesus, that, that you would pour your hope upon your people. Lord, that you would give protection to um, all of those that are, that are in war right now over in Israel. God, just do a work. Just thank you in Jesus' name.
God, just thank you for your grace and mercy and just continue to show us how to pray for your people, Lord. Continue to show us how to pray for Israel. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, in your bulletin, you'll see here, <clears throat> Friendsgiving lunch, November 26th. That'll be after church. Um, the way we, we will have a sign-up in the back for bringing food. Um, we, may, we probably don't have it today. That's okay. So, um, <clears throat> I may sit down from time to time. I might move my podium. Well, I'm not going to move this. I'm not allowed to move anything over 10 pounds, so, so I won't move this. But um, I, may, I may sit. I don't know. So, um, anyways, um, welcome, welcome, welcome. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our study today, and uh, let's go before the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it never turns back void. Thank you, Father, that no matter where we read your word, whether it's in a, a triple wide or a million square foot building or a house or the street corner, that it is powerful and that your word is alive, and that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It discerns our thoughts and our intentions. So, Lord, just ask that you'd have your way today. Lord, just remove me and get me out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand, and we will be reading Romans 15, 1 through 13. In our culture, we lose the fact that reading of the Bible is an act of worship unto God. We view that music is really the worship thing, but that's not it. That's just a, another way of worshiping God. So as we continue to worship the Lord, we're going to read Romans 15, 1 through 13. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please... <clears throat> His neighbor, as is good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who were reproached you fell on me. Of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision of the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And God, and again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, loud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. May you be honored and blessed as we study it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So God is so good to us, and it's such an amazing thing what he's 
done in our lives, and um, there's such a testimony of us being here, and I don't have time to go into all the details. Some of you know it, and if you know the testimony of the church moving here, share it with somebody. Um, I shared with the fellowship two months ago, you know, that God was going to do a miracle in moving us because our old location sold, and we had to find a location in, in, in 30 days, and then we uh, found, uh, finally negotiated everything here, which is a miracle that we're sitting here financially. It's ridiculous, honestly, and, 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 and I have to tell you, we had to move the church in six days because I had surgery, and there were, we worked 14-hour days every single day, and then I went into surgery, and everybody else worked 14-hour days. And so, no matter what goes on in our lives, when we put our hands to the plow for Jesus, it's accounted as something that we are all doing for the Lord. This building is not a work of man. This building is not a work of metanoia. This building is a work for God's people to be excited about his word and go out into the streets and share Jesus. And we gather together to learn from his word. And so as we look at Romans chapter 15, verse 1 through 13, the title of this message, The Hope of God and Selflessness, you're like, wow, how do those two go together? We've been reading through Romans, and in the first 13 verses of Romans 15, which is the chapter that we're in, Paul continues the theme of serving each other and supporting the new believer that may be weaker. In the context of Romans, Paul's writing not in Rome, but he's, he's not in Rome. He's writing, though, to the believers in Rome. And there were Jewish believers and there were Gentile believers, and those two people group had absolutely different cultures. But we know that when we come to know Jesus, He is the unifier of our culture. And there are freedoms that He gives us in our lives to be able to live freely and not be bound by a law of religious systems. And so the Jews were, their Christian Jewish believers would be struggling with those things. And when we struggle with those differences, it can create bitterness, it can create dissension, it can create disunity because we become passionate about those things. Think of a Jewish believer, you know, he all of his life grew up not, you know, not being able to eat pork or shellfish or anything, and then now the Gentiles, they never grew up like that, and they're able to eat that, and then, you know, um, if you go into Acts, the Lord convicted Peter by having a sheet come down and all these animals, unclean and clean, and, and it was really to reveal that Peter was being a hypocrite between the Gentiles and the Jews, but God said, kill and eat. And Peter said, how shall I not do that, you know? And the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself, telling, speaking to him, you know, hey, you know, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And so when Jesus came, he did away with the law because he fulfilled it. There's no more religious system that we have to follow to try and please God because God was fully pleased in the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And it satisfied all that. And so Paul is writing to the Romans, he's, God, the Holy Spirit's allowing him to, to kind of uncover these things and, and, and encourage and, and really point the focus on Jesus. And so we see here in Romans 15.1 where it reads, when we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. The wording here is not speaking of physical strength but spiritual strength. Paul is continuing to speak to the Jew and the Gentile believer in Rome, setting the foundation for how they are to treat each other. The stronger believer is to bear up or support the weakness of the weaker believer. 
not to use their strength to please themselves, but to use their strength to uplift their Christian brother or sister that is weaker. There is a huge difference in the person that uses their strength for their own selfish gain and the person that gives their strength away for the purpose to grow their brothers and sisters up into a stronger relationship with the Lord. We see in verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. We, you notice the flow of the language here. It's to please your neighbor for their good, not for your benefit. Remember in Romans chapter 14 how we learned that there were Jewish Christians that still thought that some food was ceremonially unclean. And those that knew all food was good to eat should not eat it if the, for the fact that their other Christian brother who was Jewish would be offended if they actually sat down and ate with them. Romans 14, 15, just going back to that really quick, says this, Paul writing to them, yet if your brother is aggrieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Some of us love our food. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. A lot of times we are entitled to feed ourselves, right? Our body has a natural desire to eat. We can feel that we have a freedom to do what we want, how we want, when we want, and the Gentiles would have operated this way, and the Jewish believers would have had a problem with it, and it actually would have been really bad. So, Paul, we read that last, last time we gathered, two, 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 two weeks back. So, yes, there's freedom in what we can eat. However, as an example, if I was to sit down, if I was a Gentile and I was to sit down and have a meal with my Jewish brother who was, you know, young in the faith and I did not care about where they are in their walk and just ate lobster in front of them, uh, knowing that it's an issue for them, then I am no longer walking in love but in selfishness. We are to think of others. I cited this portion of Philippians the last time we were in Romans 14, and I just felt it fitting again because Paul's continuing in the subject of selflessness. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. It's Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Write it down, underline it, paint it on your forehead, put it behind your eyelids, put it in your refrigerator, put it in your underwear drawer, put it wherever you can because this verse will dictate how you actually think about and treat others and it's a good barometer to tell us whether we are actually Christians in our actions and attitudes towards others. It's very convicting. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. In other words, stop thinking of yourself and think of others and raise them up above you in your actions, attitudes, intentions, and thinking. It is impossible as a human being to do that without transformation of the Holy Spirit in our life. Our flesh is naturally selfish. It's just how it is. It's a great canvas for the, the Lord to, to show us how sinful we are so we can actually lay that down and see how great God is. When we read Scripture and it brings conviction, what it should do is cause us to say, God, I'm a sinner, I need your help. Because if we don't have that position, then we're just drudging along, doing things in our own power and our own strength, and technically, we're just continuing to be selfish. Verse 4 of Philippians 2 says this, let each of you look 
out not only for his own interests, as if verse 3 wasn't enough, right? Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. In other words, not only lifting others above yourself, we're to actually look out for the interest of other people. Be actively looking for opportunities to help others. See, what Paul's doing in Romans is he's doing a whole psychological, supernatural, mental flip on the culture. And that's what God does. When Christians become sold out for Jesus, it radically changes them and it flips the culture around them. Because God is a God of redemption. He redeems in all things. See, we are to live in such a way that leads to the edification of others. That word edification, back in Romans chapter 2, it means to build up. I mean, Romans 15, 2, where it says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. That's a process. That word edification, I'll read it again, it means to build up. And the question is this, are, you, are your actions building others up in Christ or are you tearing them down in your selfishness? You may say, Brian, that's easier for you. You're way up there on that pedestal now in this new building. No. <laughs> this is weird to me, honestly. I stood up here thinking, I'm going to be looking down at people. This is weird. But I want to reiterate to you that when I read Scripture, this is me preaching to me also. I'm always faced with my selfishness, always. It does not ever go away. It is the most difficult thing in my life because it is in every area of my thinking. The way I drive, the way I think of my wife, the way I think of my kids, the way I lead ministry, everything, always. I'm, the Lord is just, don't, don't be selfish, be other-centered. It's constant. And see, when God places constant reminders in our lives of things that need to, we need to let go of, he's saying, let go and let me be the Lord of your life. Let me empower you in this area so that you can experience what it really means to be set free by Jesus. When we don't go through that process, we are telling God, I am my own God, I am my own Lord, and I do not need you. And that's called hypocrisy. And we are all in the same boat. There's not one of us in this room that is not here in this scripture. That's why we believe in praying for each other. That's why I believe in a ministry that is community and connected. And as this fellowship grows and home groups start and we do midweek study, we're going to strongly be connected. And then all of Hurst will strongly be connected to Jesus. God has placed all of Hearst in my heart, not this church building. And that's where you all are from. And may the Lord bless you with a burden for your neighbors. Gosh, we're not even at verse three yet. You're all, just because the building's new doesn't mean we're going to preach for two hours with the air conditioners broken. That's why it's hot in here. Pray for uh, fixing the ACs, please. 
For even Christ, verse 3, did not please. Now listen, we're going along the same lines as let each of you, back to verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. And then it goes over to verse 3, and Paul now sets the example and the Holy Spirit giving him this picture, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. And so we see here the ultimate example is Jesus Christ. He didn't live to please himself. Paul quotes part of Psalm 69.9 here. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That was a prophetic psalm about Christ. This speaks of when people insulted God the Father and Jesus Christ took it upon himself. Remember when he went into the temple and the money changers were there and Jesus screamed at them and saying, how can you, and I'm going to paraphrase this, they were making a mockery of a holy place. Jesus took what they were doing against his Father upon himself. So Paul is reminding the readers in Romans about Psalm 69 verse 9. The reproaches of those who reproached you, being God the Father, fell on me, being Jesus. He took these, he bore upon himself the insults that were spoken and done against Father God. Jesus Christ sets the example for us to bear up others' burdens, to live selflessly. You might be saying, well, that's Jesus, he's God, I'm not him. Well, you're right, you're not. You are not Jesus and you are not God. But he is the one that we look to for how we are to live. He's the rock and the cornerstone of our life. It is by him and through him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are to live in such a way that other Christians are built up and strengthened and that God is glorified in this. That's why church isn't a place for you just to come and feed at the altar of entertainment and go home. You want to experience something great with God, get next to somebody and start cleaning the yard out here. (laughs) Our first church, our first, no, listen, our first work day, like, this place has been mowed and never raked. And so Chris and I, he's our kids director, we're out there and our first work day, yep, Chris like, we need like 20 people with rakes. We had a pile like maybe this big and that's it. After like six hours. It might be a little jab of like, hey, we're going to need help around here, but, and that's a fact, but what I'm saying is that as we serve each other, as we serve the Lord together, there's a blessing of connection with the Lord in that. There's people from other churches that came here that don't even go to this fellowship. I walked in here one day, and here's Shelly cleaning the doors. She goes to the bride. And she's like, only if these doors could speak. Uh, This place for, you know, 40 plus years ago was a church. And then it was a bingo house, which is a gambling hall, basically. And then the county owned it, and it was for battered women. All the rooms over here are soundproof, one-way mirror, Closed caption, CVTV cameras for interviews. Because when your family is so broken because of sin, 
The county has to come in and help children and mothers. And historically, this place was that. And if that's not the ultimate show of selfishness when that happens in families, and if that's in your family, I'm not pointing fingers. There's brokenness in my family too. But brokenness in our society is because of sin. Because sin is selfish, okay? Jesus is the mender of families. Jesus is the hope. I know people in here personally that there's been 100% restoration in their life. Out of the darkest and most hurtful places that no one could ever get out of and themselves couldn't even get out of. And it's because of Jesus. So when I speak of the reality of what this place was used for, it's not a negative thing. It's a face value thing. And so it's providential that God has placed this little church here, forced us out of there into here, to now have a light on a corner instead of a place of darkness. And so I find it fitting that the first sermon, besides what we did as a little Bible study last Sunday, is about the hope of God and selflessness, because this place had no hope in it. And it was filled with selfishness. And it's humbling. And this is just a neat thing. I don't know how else to say it. If I tried to paint some vast, great picture of this little fellowship moving here, I, I, it would do it injustice. Because God wants to use all of you in a mighty way in this community. And obviously, he saw fit for more than 48 chairs. And ministry and church is not about a building. It's not about chairs. It's not about the number of people. It's about worshiping Jesus and learning what it means to be a Christian through the teaching of the Bible. And as we together do this here, God will use us and grow us and stretch us. Just like the Roman readers of this letter, they're like, okay, you're, obviously they were being selfish. I look at God's Word, when it reveals things, it means that the people at that time were being that way, and it means that I'm that way. God doesn't put anything in the Bible just on circumstance or happen circumstance. So we see that in verse 3 that Jesus is the example. Jesus' example Paul writes, continue in verse 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. It's very important. That's a key verse. I'll underline that. You guys really need to to know that, you know, um, our hope is not in the preacher or anything. It's in the Bible, okay? Um, I know, you know, I tell people, you know, I tell young people and I tell my kids, hey, you know, get up, read the Word, Your private time in reading the Bible is where you'll find the most growth in your life and your spiritual walk. And so Paul's reminding the Romans, whatever things were written before, in other words, the the Old Testament scriptures, because the New Testament wasn't written at that time, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And it's interesting that the the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to write that, 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 that the scriptures had patience and comfort. So Paul's stating that the scriptures that had been written in the past, like the Psalms he had quoted, or that, which is the Word of God, is for our learning. 
that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we have hope. The scriptures are patient with us in the fact that they are full of God's grace and mercy. See, God's not a God of anger throwing lightning bolts at people. If that's what you think, then you don't know the true and living God, and somebody has taught you a lie about Him. Now, is He to be feared because He's almighty? Yes. But God's Word tells us that He wills no one to perish but all to come to repentance through Him. In other words, His desire is for all to have a true and living relationship through His Son, Jesus Christ. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, in other words, anybody who believes in Him will not perish. In other words, you will not die. You will live forever. Will not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, this body gets old and wastes away. I mean, you know, they shoved a bunch of electrodes up into my heart last week. Thank God that they know how to do that. You think you want a widescreen TV, go have the operating room I was in. I roll in and there's these big screen TVs. You know, if you ever had an EKG, they put these little patches on. And when you do what I did, they put these big squares that are this big and they triangulate your heart front and back. It was like the Super Bowl for me in a room of like 10 people. God's good. But I had peace the whole time, you know? It was a little, you know, interesting when I went back past the red line, and there's my wife probably like, and she was glad Angelina was with her to comfort. An hour and a half later, they call her, hey, your husband's, he's awake. But back to verse 4, what Paul's talking about here, the patience and comforts of the Scripture, we have hope. The scriptures are patient with us in the fact that they are full of God's grace and mercy. This comforts sinners like us and gives us hope. Without Jesus, I'm sorry to tell you, you, you and I, we ain't got no hope. Without the Bible, we have no hope. If you don't have hope in your life, then you're not connected with the true and living God. You're like, that doesn't make, that's not fair, Brian. Well, look, I'm not saying that things are easy. I'm not saying that there's going to be trials. I'm saying that the Word tells us that this is where our hope is when things aren't going well. The Word of God is given to us by God Himself. It is our instruction booklet. It's what we see in verse 4. Paul wrote to young Pastor Timothy about the importance of the Word of God in a believer's life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. This is ESV, by the way. For correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God or woman may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, God's Word is breathed out by God. It is absolutely profitable for us in that it teaches us. It rebukes us. That's where the word reproof means. It rebukes us. In other words, you know, when you're going off and you shouldn't be doing it and you're in the Word and you're reading it, and you're like, oh, man, you're like, there's something that just like smacks you in the face and you're like, oh, Lord, I, okay, God. It's what the Word of God does. Some of us, like myself, we need a lot of rebuking. So the word rebukes us. It corrects us. A lot of us, we all need correction. It trains us in godly living. We all need to be trained in godly living. None of us have made it. 
It completes the Christian. It equips you and I for every good work. And when it means good work, it means works unto the Lord. You're like, well, I have a job. Well, then turn your job into your ministry. This is why we hold the Word of God in such a high degree of reverence in this ministry and the importance of it here. We're a Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel is based upon teaching the Word line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And it's important that the Word of God dictates how our lives are. Without it, we are helpless. We are left to follow man's failed plans of so-called religious success. If the church you attend does not read and teach the Bible, run from it like it's a murderer for your soul. There are many people that stand in pulpits and speak stuff that is not God and that is not in here. And you need to be in a place that teaches this. And you need to be in a place where the person who stands here is fearful that he isn't teaching this properly. Five and six verses of Romans chapter 15. Paul continues, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we see in verse 4 that through the patience and comfort of Scripture we have hope. Now in verse 5 we see that God Himself is the God of patience and comfort. The true and living God is not separate from the Bible. He's not separate from Scripture. The Word of God, it is how we learn to grow and understand about Him and His love for us and His plan for our lives. And it is through Him, Paul is saying, that the believers that are reading this letter may receive from God Himself the ability to be like-minded towards one another. Without God to be like-minded with each other, we're, we're left in the, in the dark. Think about it. Those that were, this was written to... Okay, you had Jews and Gentiles. For all of their history, they were separate from each other. All of their history, they were adversarial. All of their history, there was no communion. Could you imagine the first potluck with this group? Oh, man. And Paul isn't even in Rome, but he's writing this by the leading of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit knows what we need. Because He is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are one. They are in unison. They're not separate. They don't have to play telephone. Hey, Holy Spirit, did you see these people over here? God is all-knowing, omnipresent, all everywhere at once. He's omniscient, knows everything all at once. He knows what you're thinking right now. You're like, I just want to go to a potluck. What do you mean? I don't care who's there. He said, food, I'm done. But I want you to grasp the reality of the, if we don't really take into consideration the context and the people and everything, we lose the veracity of what the Holy Spirit's teaching us through this letter. 
And so we have these people here that would have been like clashing and their minds would have not been in unison. And they, you know, could you, I mean, in our families, we have a hard time being in unison, you know? My wife and I have a hard time being in unison, you know? I mean, it's just a thing, right? We just, it's not, it's not always normal for us to be right on par with each other, let alone be culturally separated for hundreds of years and then be thrown in the same group. I lost my place, sorry. It's through him, Paul is saying that the believers that are reading this letter may receive from God himself the ability to be like-minded towards one another. It is a God-sized task for Jews and Gentiles to be like-minded. It is a God-sized task for all of us to be like-minded. And this like-mindedness is according to who? We see in verses five and six, it's according to Christ Jesus. Not according to me, not according to you. Jesus is the standard. So this is a God-sized task for us to be like-minded. And this like-mindedness is according to Christ Jesus, or in other words, according to how Jesus acted. Why? So that with one mind and one mouth, we glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in unison with no division and one mouth. When you walk into a fellowship of people and there's the, you're like, oh, we want the Holy Spirit to be there. That happens when there's selflessness and there's like-mindedness in Jesus and there's unison. That's what Jesus wants. That's what the Holy Spirit desires for his people. Then people on the outside and the world look in and like, wow, why is there peace there? Because... Because the Lord's doing something in our lives because we're a bunch of crazy, selfish people that have nothing in common with each other. And God's telling us to not be that way and to be selfless. What? Hey, I didn't write it. I'm just told that I'm supposed to die to myself and be this way. What? I don't know, man. Let's just pray. I'm serious, but I want you to really get the reality here is that when we as human beings lose sight of this character, all sorts of chaos happens, all sorts of hurt happens. You know, it's one of the most selfless things to do is humble yourself to somebody that even when you feel like you have the right to stay upset and to say, I'm sorry. That's selflessness. Doesn't matter what they say to you. I've had to do that. Because when I stand before God, he's like, hey, Brian, did you, how'd you manage that? Oh, okay, well, hopefully I did okay. But this whole point here is in the context of, a, of two different people groups that are now Christians and so that they are in unison to each other so that with one mind and one mouth that they are able to glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we're selfish, we can't glorify the Lord in unison. I guarantee you if you spend time serving others and doing things for the Lord and being, acting selfless in your actions, you'll have less time being selfishly thinking. Did that come out right? So what comes out of your mouth? What comes out of my mouth? Words. 
And what controls the mouth? The mind. And if a hodgepodge group of people are not like-minded, we will not be of one mind and will not be of one mouth glorifying God, the Father of Jesus Christ. What does this all hinge on? How it hinges on how we serve each other. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 15 says this, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For all the law, in other words, all of what God has spoken is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That means the people around you. You're like, Brian, you don't know my neighbor. That's okay. God knows them. Love your neighbor as yourself. How much do you love yourself? Well, you got dressed, you brushed your teeth, you did your makeup, you put your hair on, whatever. You get my point. (laughs) Check, please. I'm done. But no, in all seriousness, though, we love ourselves. We naturally do. And so the basis then, again, is Jesus, right? Jesus was selfless. And then Paul writing to the Galatians hey, look, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the same way, the same passion, the same thought that you have towards you, place that towards your neighbors. Verse 15 in Galatians 5, very convicting, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. It's a warning. I love how Scripture coincides with Scripture. It does not contradict. It's because it is God's Word. Verse 7 in Romans 15, back there it says, Paul writing, therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So Paul is saying because of the need for unity in the body of Christ to glorify God, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers are to receive each other the same way Christ received Paul and the other apostles, not on the basis of denomination or spiritual maturity or achievements. But as Christ had received them openly, so believers should receive other believers the same way. Now, this is not a statement of acceptance for all things, by the way. There are those that say they are Christians, and in our day and age, people say they are Christians, but they are not living according to the Bible. The Bible is the standard. There are LGBTQ churches. Those are satanic houses. They are not Christians. You cannot be a Christ follower and still live in sin willingly. It doesn't work. Read the Old Testament. Go from Genesis to Deuteronomy and you will learn how God feels about sin and hypocrisy in our lives. Just because he's full of grace and mercy and truth does not mean that he bats an eye at sin or turns a dead ear to it. He is perfect and he demands perfection in our lives and that comes 
from having a broken and contrite spirit and having Jesus in us because he is our perfection. And I'm not speaking against any issues in our life that we are dealing with that is sin because we all are. What I'm speaking of is that there is a huge movement in our society now that claims to be Christian, but the reality is is they are a false doctrine of demons. And so that is not what I am speaking of here when I say that we are to be accepting of all. We're not to receive certain people, okay? More and more, our society, our society is not a Christian society, okay? Um, America might have been founded on people that were running from the Catholic Church or Rome and whatever. I'm paraphrasing all this. You history buffs are going to be like, you're so, don't say it like that. But anyways... (laughs) We migrated here under the guise of wanting to have freedom for religion and Christianity, and yes, maybe some of the people were Christians, okay? But we are not a Christian country, okay? America is not God. The eagle is not a supernatural being, and the flag is just a mark so that the rest of the world knows who we are as a territory. There's nothing supernatural saving life through that at all. Yes, I praise God we are in a country that is free, okay? I'm glad that I can go on the street corner or my friend Ryan Dozier can stand in front of a Mormon temple and preach Jesus, and he's one of the most versed and knowledgeable people about the Mormon religion, and he loves them so much, and yet he is so bold. It's because we're in America. We have freedom. But the Bible is our standard. Jesus is our example. And when the Bible is not the standard and Jesus is not the example, Satan is the authority in a fellowship of people. I'm telling you. So pray and love your neighbor as yourself. Love those who are different. I got neighbors that are different. They don't go to church. Some of them even may see this live stream. You know what? We were talking about moving out to Oliverhurst before the church moved, and my neighbor said, please don't do that. What does that mean? That means that somehow the craziness of Gina and I being hot-headed Italians and crazy kids all over the place and chickens everywhere and dogs and just this loudest neighborhood, and you pull up to my house, and it's just like, this place is crazy, and yet the neighbor next door whose house looks amazing who has, you know, please don't leave. And that's not because of us, that's because of the Lord. Because they hear Gina and I, I mean, we're not quiet people. Some of you have known Gina and I for a long time. And you're like, how are you guys still married? 17 years. But it drives us to be dependent upon Jesus. So we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And when we do that, they see Jesus. For my neighbor to say that about me, I wasn't asking for that. He just said it. And I was like, wow. No, no, I'm serious. That, that really touched my heart. You know? That's how, you know, people say that if your church ever left, it should leave a hole gaping in the community. Well, if you ever move, that should be the way it is in your own neighborhood. So start asking God, Lord, how can I love my neighbors as myself? 
But again, the context here is the believers within the body that were Jews and Gentiles in Rome here. And so they're to receive each other in the same way Christ also had received Paul and the apostles. And I want to make it clear so that there's no confusion on who Jesus Christ's ministry was for. The next verses, Paul reminds the readers that Jesus Christ's ministry was not for the Jewish people only, but also for the Gentiles, because that would have been going on too. Verse 8, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. So the coming of Jesus Christ was promised in the Old Testament, and He did not come and he did come, sorry, and he did come fulfilling the scriptures. The circumcision in, in verse 8, that's the Jewish people. He came as a servant to them, Jesus did, for the truth of God. In other words, Jesus Christ coming to the Jews as the servant was in complete alignment with the truth of God. God had told the Israelites over and 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 over again that He would send the Messiah, Christ Jesus, to them. And when Christ came, it confirmed all of those promises. So that's what Paul is writing about in verse 8. And we see in verse 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So Paul's quoting Psalm 18, chapter 18, 49 here, and I don't have it up there. I'm just going to give the reference. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So not only was Christ's ministry for the Jewish people, but Christ came to the Jews first, and this made a way for Christ to be revealed to the Gentiles. One thing that's sad about Jesus is his day of revealing to the Jews, Palm Sunday, they denied him. Their Savior came, and they crucified him. God's grace is mercy, man. It's amazing. But what happened there is it made a way for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. Jesus' ministry wasn't only for the Jews after he, that. His ministry then was revealed to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles would be able to come to Jesus Christ and glorify God. And you say, what, what's a Gentile? Well, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. That's it. So when we see that in the Bible, it's either you have Jewish heritage, 30% or more, you're a Jew, I think, or it has to do with your mother's side, if I remember correctly. I had a friend who was a Messianic Jew who actually, we grew up at a Calvary in Modesto, and he followed his Jewish heritage, and he became a Messianic Jew. It's really amazing. But if you're not Jewish, then you're a Gentile, and so that just means someone who's not God's original people. God originally was for the Israelites only in the Old Testament, and so when Jesus came, that changed everything. Amen. Ha! I am so grateful. It's amazing. But we see here Paul reminding the prophecies, him speaking about what the psalmist wrote in 1849, the Jews would glorify God amongst the Gentiles. So even in Psalm 1849, there was unity amongst the Gentiles and the Jewish people that was prophesied about because of Christ. In verse 10, Paul continues, says again, he says, and he's reminding the readers, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Paul's quoting Deuteronomy 32, 43 there. 
Jewish people and Gentiles rejoicing together. Now see, the Jewish people who might have had an issue with the Gentiles, they would have known this. They would have studied the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible at that time. They would have known it. And again, I love how Scripture confirms Scripture. It doesn't go against itself. In verse 11, Paul's continuing. He says, and again, praise the Lord. He's quoting from Psalm 117.1. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Loud Him, all you peoples. So not just the Gentiles praising God, but all people praising Him. And that word loud Him means highly and enthusiastically to praise God with exuberant emotion, enthusiastically because of what He's done for us. Verse 12, Paul continues, and he's quoting Isaiah 11 here, not the whole chapter, just one verse, and I didn't put the verse, because it's actually two different verses. It's verse 1 and 10 that Paul uses together in verse 12 here. I know I'm confusing things a little bit. I'll explain that in a second. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise and reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. So Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 11. And I like how the Believer's Bible Commentary explains this verse, Romans 15, 12. Finally, Isaiah adds his testimony to the inclusion of the Gentiles in the, in the dominion of the Messiah. And Paul's quoting Isaiah 11, 1 and eleven ten. The particular point here is that the Gentiles would share in the privileges of the Messiah and his gospel. And if you know your Bible history, the privileges of the Messiah were only for the Jews before Christ came. The privileges of God were only for non, were only for the Jews. And so we see here this, this, the, the, the Messiah being prophesied about the Lord Jesus is a root of Jesse in the sense that, and Jesse was David's father, okay? If you go to First and Second Samuel in the book, in the Bible, you can read about David and how he was anointed as king and his whole history there. But Isaiah, being hundreds of years before this, speaking about Jesus. The Lord Jesus is a root of Jesse in the sense that he is Jesse's creator. We know a tree, right? Seed, root, the root, the tree starts in the root. So that Jesus is Jesse's creator, not that he sprang from Jesse, though that also is true. See, Jesus is fully God and fully man, 100% both. And we read in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, the commentator speaks this, Jesus speaks of himself as the root and offspring of David. And what that means is as it is, I'm sorry, it speaks to his deity being that he is God and it speaks to him and, it, and, and that he is David's creator. And it also, it speaks to his humanity that he is David's descendant. So that's what Revelation twenty two sixteen speaks about. And Revelation twenty two sixteen confirms and, and, and adds to, um, not adds to, but confirms Isaiah 11, 1 and 10. And Paul's quoting that so that they can know that there shall be a root of Jesse and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. In other words, what he's saying is that Jesus is the God of the Gentiles and also of the Jews. He is the Savior of all, Jesus being that person 
Jesus being the one who reigns over both of them. I love that in, our hope is in him. We see that in verse 12. In him the Gentiles shall hope. It's amazing. And yet there was all this separation through all these hundreds of years between the Gentiles and the Jews and their own scriptures telling them, hey, you're going to be in one voice, one accord with the Savior that's going to come out of Jesse's lineage, and he's going to be their hope also. I love how God mixes things up. He is our hope. And this benediction in closing, Paul writes this, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul prays this prayer so beautiful and full of God's truth that the God that the God that is hope fills them with all joy and peace because they believe in the one and only true God, Jesus Christ. He is the God of hope, the God of joy, the God of peace for the purpose of abounding in hope. And this is all by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as for the readers of Paul's letter, they received this prayer, and may you also as well. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing in the one and only true God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is Lord, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit to live selflessly, to build up those that are weaker in the faith, to glorify God by being like-minded with Christ, of one mind and mouth praising God in unison all for the glory of Him who reigns forever and ever. Jesus Christ is who that is. Amen. God's good. And if the Lord writes this for two people groups that have been stuck in their own ways for hundreds of years and He's asking them to come together in unity, then what excuse do we have? So God leaves us with this. We'll continue in Romans next week, and we are taking communion today. And so if the worship team can come forward. It's amazing, you know, how the Lord uses His Word to bring to mind and to bring to thought things that, that need to change in our lives. And as we prepare for communion, oh, sorry, it's just, I apologize. Sorry, Gina. No, come forward. I forgot my wife told me she's the one who's going to be doing the song, not the whole worship team. <clears throat> so sound guys if you just unmute Gina's channel sorry we're totally skipping a thing and keep mine unmuted and just unmute her keyboard that'd be great um, it's amazing how the Lord brings to mind things that there's conviction and change that needs to happen and it's just like a loving father you know when we see our, our, our child doing something and we're like you know don't, don't go there you know um, that's, that's how that's what conviction's for, you know, and, and me, and I'm, I'm being, you know, I, I, I try and be as transparent as possible, but when I go through the scriptures like this, you know, and it's like, oh, when I go home, I have to still have this. I can't just take off the pastor hat and, and be selfish in my house. You know, my wife lovingly reminds me, hey, that's what best friends are for, though, you know. And so, I'm kind of tailing on this when we come to take communion, we're to take communion in a way to where that if there's sin in our life and if the Holy Spirit revealed something in your life 
as you sit here that he wants you to just lay at his feet. Then in the quiet of your heart, pray, God, I confess this to you. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, communion is for the believer. If you don't know Jesus today and you want to know Jesus personally, raise your hand. If you've never made a decision for Jesus and you don't know what hope is and you don't have that hope and you're, you're questioning those things, you can invite Jesus into your heart right now as we sit here and I stand here. If you don't know the Lord and you want to come up after service, come talk with me. I would love to pray with you and, and, and lead you in a prayer and talk to you about what knowing Jesus personally means. If you need prayer for anything after service, please come forward and we would love to pray with you. But again, if there's anything in your life that is a sin that's unconfessed, it's important that you get right with God before you take communion. And so um, I'm going to close in prayer. And then as the um, worship team leads us in this song, you'll come forward and grab the elements and go back to your seat. And then when we are all seated, we will take communion together. So uh, I'll pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray that you would just move upon our hearts, Lord. If there's anything in our lives that we need to get rid of, that we would do so there's anybody in this room that, that has never made a decision for you, Jesus, I know that you're faithful to talk to them. You're faithful to talk to me in my darkest days. You're faithful to talk to all of us who are believers in our darkest days, Lord. So just ask, Lord, that you would continue to work, Lord, as we continue to worship you through just uh, singing the song and, and partaking of communion to remember what you did for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have the wrong keyboard unmuted. <laughs> Amen. There we go. Thank you, guys. In the quiet, in the stillness, I know that you
Paul writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the, the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, if you take the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me, so let's eat. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is Jesus' words, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink, 
This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's partake. God, thank you that you shed your blood on the cross for us and that we're able to remember how you gave your body, Lord, and your blood, a true and living sacrifice, the ultimate example of selflessness, that you died while we were yet sinners. Thank you that we are able to partake and remember, Lord. Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that we would not miss out on what you have spoken to us today and that we would not walk out of step with you, Holy Spirit, as you have ministered to us. And Lord, I pray for each and every family here that you would use them for restoration. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for each and every person here. Thank you again, Lord. We can't thank you enough for dying on the cross for us. We can't thank you enough that you put in the word that we could remember you, Lord, through communion. Thank you so much. Just give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if you need prayer after service, I'll be up front here, um, and uh, we'd love for we'd love to pray with you. God bless you guys, and um, there is a special. We have specialty drinks, and I think somebody baked something. Um, We have a fellowship hall now. It's weird. And so if you guys out the door to the right, um, there's coffee and cake, I heard. But if you need prayer um, after service, we'll be up front. Thank you. God bless you guys. Jesus.